Okay, one more call before I go to bed, and I'll finish listening to your call-ins on the way to work tomorrow. Tonight, I guess. Oh, that's where you were driving. But after I get up, as far as on your most recent show, you're talking about complexity and experiences with it and crunch and all that kind of thing, simple games that were hard, complex games that ran smoothly. I find Rollmaster, which is often considered a complex game, and this would also apply to DCC, honestly, is if you print off all the applicable tables that are going to affect that character and give them to them, so the magic user in DCC has the spells in front of them, they have their hit charts, critical charts in front of them, all that, and the players manage that part, then it'll go much quicker. Because Rollmaster, that goes much quicker if everybody has their charts in front of them and they're reading their own charts as you go. So it can go faster, but it takes that player level of system mastery and buy-in and the players helping out, definitely. As far as a simple system that went clunkily, Jason Hobbs, our mutual friend, ran We Deal in Lead for Che Webster and myself, and we kind of muddled through it. And it, it took a little bit longer. We got a whole session done, including character creation, in about two and a half hours. So it's it still moved pretty well, but character creation took longer, we thought. And we had to do multiple lookups in the book because Jason only ran it once before, and it was a little while before. So he, he had been doing other games between then. So he didn't really have the rules internalized. And neither Che or I had seen the rules prior to that session starting. So there, there were some lookups involved. Now, does that mean we deal in lead? and the end of the odd and Karn games that it's based on are hard to play and complex and bog down the table? No. But that basic system mastery is huge. And 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 to be honest, and it's not Hobbs' fault, I'm very glad he ran it. It was a very fun adventure. But if he had played, if he had run We Deal and Lead the day before, right, and it was fresh in his mind, then, and I'm making him sound like a bad guy, and that's 100% not my intent, but it would have gone much faster. So, you, you know, but you ask for examples, and I get, and so I present you examples. That is absolutely a valid example. Everybody, when we're learning to play a game, or if we're rusty playing a game, that will, add, that will slow down the table no matter what you're playing. Uh, some systems are faster than others, so if I'm playing something loose and quick, like basic, then it's going to be a little bit less clunky than if I'm playing something uh, chunk and dunk like uh, Hackmaster. But absolutely, very valid use case, so to speak. Whenever somebody's learning a system or refreshing a system, there's going to be some bumps in the road until you've uh, until your tires have kicked those rocks into the center. You know, you know, I'm looking at Hero System right now, um, and honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Hero System looks like it's one of those games that's totally front-loaded. Rollmaster's the same way. Character Creation's a bear in Rollmaster, and Character Creation looks like a bear in Hero System. But once you have everything created, when you're actually at the table, it looks like Hero System would just fly by once everybody's familiar with it because you're rolling 3d6, roll low. I, I mean, that's pretty much what you're doing in that game. You know, a little bit of math, figuring out, you, you know, what your target numbers are, but that's it. Um, and... So a lot of the, you know, Mutants and Masterminds is like that. You know, it's it's front-loading character creation, but then you're just doing D20 plus modifiers. You know, Pathfinder is like that. You, you've got 
these character builds and, and all that, which I guess 3E works the same way. But when you're actually at the table, the hard part about Pathfinder, and I assume the hard part about 3.x D&D is, is you get higher in level, managing and remembering what all your things are. Oh, is this a, a demon? What bonus do I have against just against demons? Oh, is this an evil outsider? What bonus do I just have against the evil outsiders? That kind of thing. And managing all your feats and all your different things. But as far as mechanically, it's roll D20 and add modifiers. It's, you know, pretty simple. So, okay. Well, that's almost four minutes, so that's long enough. Um, I, I agree with you. It can go either way, honestly. I love DCC and the crawler app. 100% is the fast way to go with a crawler app and highly recommend it. I am remembering how much I enjoyed running the under level 10, I guess, is the way to put that. Isn't that, there's a thing now, isn't there, where you're playing 3.5 or whatever and you stop at level 6? Yeah, I haven't been paying attention to the... Uh, <laughs> I haven't been on social media like I should be to know what these cultural phenomena are. But yeah, but yeah, yeah I just, you're bringing back memories. High-level characters either become super hyper-specialized or can't keep up with the published material. So I do uh, appreciate your call, and I trust your judgment. Not, uh, not because I don't agree, not because I happen to agree with it, which I do, uh, but because I know your breadth of experience, the number of games you've played gives you a great deal of perspective, and I appreciate your input. Hey, Taylor. Daniel from Reddit's Keep Calling In. I'm, uh, listening to the new podcast. I like the new name a lot, actually. And if you are, uh, this is my <laughs> internet advice, if you're looking for SEO, I think that while I love save versus driving is kind of fun and it's a kind of uh, in-theme in joke, I guess, I don't think that's going to be obvious to what the podcast is to people who don't have any idea, whereas a whispering GM, I think GM people get Although they might think of General Motors, I don't know, but probably not. <laughs> In any case, I like the new name, um, and hey, why not? You can change your name every episode. It'd be fine with me. Always great content. Welcome back to the Oscillating GM Podcast. The podcast where the name changes every episode just to keep you on your toes. So, as far as what you're talking about this episode, oh, thank you for the shout out, by the way. Uh, I'm just at, you're just, you're just start, starting to talk about DCC, and I finished my walk, so I'll listen to the rest later, but... Yeah, I think I think I get where you're going with this, and, and it makes a lot of sense. I agree. Like how things flow at the table is definitely one of the most important things. I do think, and the idea of like getting into the game, learning the game. Yeah, I'm with you on that too because I feel like in most games, and again, I didn't play three E or four E. I think most of the stuff is uh, that the players have to know is not that complex. I've sat down with players who have never played five E before and just said. This is your character. You know, they you know quickly went over the character sheet. You're strong because your strength is this. You're you know, not you know not super healthy because you have a low con, whatever it is. You're basically a rogue. So you know, just explain what your character will do. This is what you're carrying as far as gear. And they've played the game just fine. You know, so I think being a player in an RPG, any RPG, is really just using your imagination. So the system to a lot of levels doesn't make sense. I should say the system to a lot of levels doesn't make a difference when you're first getting into it. I think as you play more, 
that's when it makes a difference. That's when you do care. What are, what are these extra roles? Oh, I want to build my character this way, that kind of thing. But I think when you're just new to a system, just knowing, hey, I'm a thief or a fighter or a bench user, this is what I have to do. That's all you really have to know. The GM does definitely need to know more. But even that is questionable because, as you said, I'm not one of these people that gets all upset if somebody has to look something up. You know, we're playing a game. We can stop to look something up. If they look up their same spell every single week that we play and we've, they've been playing the character for four years, yeah, that's probably a bit much. But if we have to look up a rule that's not used that often or we're new to the system, that doesn't bother me one bit. Anyways, I'll listen to the rest and call back at some point. Thanks again for all the great content. Thank you likewise, my friend, for content and also for calling in because technically that's content too as we put it on the air. While I freely admit that as of late I'm not the most role-play-y referee, that's largely a result of uh, dust getting knocked off and rust getting dusted up. When I was in college, we used to do a hearty mix of everything, and I think that's a good place to be. And thinking back, one of my favorite things to do is to introduce a group of new people to the game. You can start off, you mix it up, you figure out what works, and you kind of... and. When you, I was about to say you mix it up and you kind of inject more of what, what works, but you think about it, when you run a game in a more sandbox pattern, the players are going to gravitate towards the part of, excuse me, uh, towards the part of the world that caters to their interests. They're going to gravitate to the part of the game that caters to their interests. So if you have a group that enjoys role play and politics and intrigue, you're going to have a game that kind of fits itself into, into that part of the experience. And you have a group that enjoys the crunch. You have a group that enjoys uh, getting the uh, combats going. They're going to seek that out. And so one of the joys that I have in that game, because I enjoyed... Uh, all of it up and down uh, and I, I feel like I could do that again if I just you know had the time to devote to it but the having a new table figure it out and come to their own that's a brilliant time got me got me having some good memories so thank you again thank you for calling in hey Taylor um, calling you the end because I heard the second part of or finished listening to the complexity thing. Uh, while I don't disagree, what you're saying seems factual. <laughs> I think that you sign up for it. I guess this is what I was saying when I called into our questioning, when I called into Jason's podcast. I think when you sign up for DCC, you sign up for page flipping. If you told me we're going to play DCC, but we're just going to press a button and all that stuff's going to happen, I wouldn't enjoy it as much. I would think, well, why aren't we just playing BX or X if they just all play exactly the same? To me, I play different games because I want them to feel different. So while I agree that factually you are correct, I don't agree that one is necessarily clunky. I think that it's just different and a different experience. And if you're going for that experience, I think DCC does a great job with it. Like I said, I, that was kind of my initial thought. What Carl was talking about on Jason's podcast, about the idea that this complex game, and they just pressed the button and it rolled all these dice for it. To me, that doesn't seem as satisfying. But again, maybe that's just me. No, I think that makes sense. Now, because to clarify, just in case, when I mentioned a comparison between Axe and BX, I did not intend to say that they felt the same so much as they flowed the same. There was the same smoothness at the table as to how it rolled. And when you're talking about rolling a whole bunch of dice or rolling on nested tables, um, when talking about pushing a button to do all that, if, if you're going to push a button to do your abilities... Why not play a video game? 
because it's, uh, it's more efficient, isn't it? Less driving. <laughs> but yeah, I can, I can see that. One, from the tonal perspective, because the intended experience for Axe is different than it is for BX, uh, or the, the experience that Goodman intended for DCC is different than the intended experience that Gygax had for first edition. And those experiences are going to be informed by the rules. And so absolutely there, when I say, uh, yeah, that's why I highlight it's more about flow for the comparison and less about uh, the the specific experience. But to dial in uh, on what you were saying, if you were told, hey, let's play DCC, and you came in with the expectation for charts and nested tables and page flipping, and, and that's what you were in for, I can, I can see where you're coming from, because there are people who enjoy the crunch, there are people who enjoy, and uh, just in, I know some folks who enjoy rules, rules arguments at the table. <laughs> I never enjoyed that, but I have some friends who definitely do, and that's, uh, I can see how having a tool would uh, rob the experience, so to speak, if that's what you, if that's what you came in for. So I may have to amend my recommendation going forward with a caveat, a little asterisk, ocular asterisk. So I wink when I say it. That's what that means. <laughs> uh. Hello, clerics. We're ringmail. Spencer here. I just wanted to say I've much. I've enjoyed your OSR your Octo SR episodes, make sure I get that right. Um, the uh, Starting off by going through the old school primer was great hearing your thoughts on that. And uh, I particularly like the point you made about choosing the right system. Um, I've kind of heard it suggested that if OSR is a play style, well then surely you can play it with any rule set. Um, I think there are certainly rule sets that are diametrically opposed to creating a, that kind of game. And, you know, if you were to adjust the rules to the degree in which to accommodate that style of play, well, then you might as well abandon those rules altogether and start off looking for something more suitable. Anyway, great stuff. Take care. You thought... I was done with the Octo SR calls. Ha ha! But, but more seriously, that was uh, Spencer of uh, Free Thrall. Keep off the Borderlands. Thank you, Spencer, for calling in. I do apologize for missing your call initially on the go through, but I'm getting to it now. Or if I did get to the call and simply forgot, hopefully my response will be consistent. Regarding systems and playstyles. When I first discovered the OSR movement, I was under the impression that it was, in fact, a playstyle. Um, I think that might have been, in part, a result of the folks I was hanging out with at the time. There was a very heavy emphasis on the Rules Light Indie RPG. Uh, but um, as I've broadened the people I've been with, as I've broadened the uh, play, play games that I've been in, um, I've learned that the while now there's a wide swath of things that consider themselves OSR, that the roots of the movement were in TSR D&D. And you didn't say this, but it's something that came to mind as I was listening to your call. 
I have changed my definition. Um, in the last handful of years, I've kind of moved over to TSR compatible as a prerequisite to call something OSR. Now, that's not to say that other games aren't good. That's not to say other games cannot produce the classic OSR experience. And in in my opinion, there's two big pieces. There, and anyone on my Discord has agreed to this. In uh, much like uh, Facebook, uh, the terms and conditions follow you around everywhere you go. We've we had this discussion a while back. So uh, everyone on my Discord is legally bound to agree. But the uh, OSR as two things. It's an experience and it's a rule set. And the reason that I have to think of it as a rule set is because just like you said, here's the tie-in, some games that market themselves as OSR don't reinforce the experience. They don't reinforce player skill. They don't reinforce focusing on the dungeon, focusing on the wilderness, focusing on exploration opening opportunity for roleplay in the dungeon, faction interaction, all of that stuff that is quintessentially OSR. It's OSR because that's the experience that D&D from the Gygaxian era promoted. It's stuff that the game implicitly promoted based on rules. And so when you have a rule set that doesn't promote that and doesn't have the mechanical compatibility, what is it? It's a marketing gimmick. And so, like I said, it's not that they're bad games. I have played non-OSR games. I've played 3.5, I've played Traveler, I've played uh, a Judge Dredd RPG that was actually a lot of fun forever ago. The But those aren't OSR. I still had fun with them. They're not bad games. It's just a label, and I think there's a, there's a little bit of animosity in the in the community, so to speak, because people want to be OSR because it's a cool label uh, when they don't when, when it, it kind of dilutes the the utility of the label. But anyway, them's my two cents, and that's why uh, again we'll harken back to my Discord joke. I go OSR or OSR adjacent. Folks can talk about TSR games. Folks can talk about games that are compatible with TSR games. Or folks can talk about games that reinforce the OSR experience. Because at the end of the day, it's okay to not be OSR if you don't want to be. Thank you for calling in. Hey there, Daniel Fanskeep. I'm not surprised by the results of the squirrel poll. Hee <laughs> squirrel poll. And I actually did vote player skill on Twitter, so I'm one of those voters. But while I agree that it is somewhat like putting a cursed item in your treasure, just like anything, it really depends on the nature of the table. I don't think I would put uh, a trap scroll case, let's say, in a magic user's laboratory where they have all their stuff because... Why did they trap it? Wouldn't they be better off putting like a wizard lock on it or something where nobody could open it unless they're a much higher level? To put like a, a glyph that explodes that could possibly ruin all the rest of their stuff just seems silly and not something a magic user would do. And again, it really would depend on where it was used and how it was used. That is something that a lot of folks do not think about. You are, you are right on there. Does the trap make sense in the context of where it is? 
in this case, the scroll was essentially by itself under a rock that was buried, so there was no risk of messing up the magician's other stuff. And it was in an area that uh, had, po it was the scroll itself was, I think, remove poison, and it was in an area where poison was prevalent. And so it made sense to have it there uh, and uh, potentially stashed as a, a magic user who goes to the area with some degree of regularity. Uh, it's almost like a first aid station. So now I'm thinking of narrative uh, around a trap in a world that was not, <laughs> that I was a player in. Emergent world, or, or what's, the, what's the word I'm looking for? Collaborative world building. A cursed item could be there for any number of reasons. I often think that people who put cursed items in their hoard don't know they're cursed, right? That's why they put them there, as you mentioned, with the plate armor. Or maybe they came off of somebody who they defeated if it's like a dragon's hoard or something like that. So, yeah, I, I, again, I voted it was a player skill test. But, again, I would probably never use that unless there was a really good reason. <laughs> so, and it, and it would be obvious. It would be like, why do these uh, goblins have 5,000 copper pieces and also a beautifully engraved ivory scroll case? Uh, you know, so at least the players have a reason to think, huh, there might be something up here. And on a final note, I do like the idea that the curse is not known to its owner. That's a very, it's a very cool idea. Now, I've, I've had another person jokingly talk about dragons as bower birds. They're not necessarily intelligent. They just like shiny things, and they use it to attract a mate. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the idea that they don't know that the shiny thing is cursed, that may be sitting on the horde there. Or, who knows, maybe an adventurer brought it with them, thinking they could use it to slay said dragon, but it betrayed them. Cool, cool, uh, cool concept. And that wraps up this episode of the Whispering GM Podcast, an independently operated product released for educational and informative purposes under the Totally Steal This License. Some sound effects are retrieved from Mixkit.co and used under the Mixkit.co royalty-free music license. Others are retrieved from Pixabay, made available under the Creative Commons Zero. The music is raw power, licensed through playonloop.com. Parties interested in or with questions regarding the podcast are encouraged to reach out via the methods provided on the Clearing Square Ring Mail blog. Thank you for listening, and delve.